Well, on one of those mission trips 14 years ago, several of you were like me and blessed to be able to visit the beautiful country of South Africa. Uh, Beautiful country, beautiful people, but so many ways like our country, a lot of spiritual darkness, a lot of opportunity. Uh, We had known Pastor Greg had partnered with him in ministry prior to that. But it was there, you know, it's when you sit down in somebody else's, somebody's home, Jim, and when you eat soup beans with people and cornbread, you really develop a kinship. Well, we didn't have soup beans, but we had rooibos tea there in, uh, in South Africa. And uh, they, those, those, pray for those people, they call, they have tea and biscuits? They, they, they ain't seen a cat head biscuit. <laughs> well, Pastor Greg has because he ate at mom and dad's and we had some biscuits there. But, um, and gravy, oh, praise, but it's so neat. Um, Pastor Greg's with us. We've, we, you helps, help, you minister through them, uh, there in South Africa. Uh, it's good to have him back. He's going to be here for a period of time. Uh, and so I hope we can enjoy him as much as we can, but let's give a house of prayer. Welcome to Pastor Greg Mathai. I'm a Baptist, so I must carry water with me. (laughs) Thank you again for that very kind and and generous welcome. The choir is always a blessing to me. Those two songs, God is still saving lives. God is still changing lives. When he brings us into his kingdom... He continues to change us. So we are being changed from one degree of glory into another. You should have be, we should all be better people this week than what we were last week. And we say to the others, watch me next week. Because God is constantly changing our lives. And so um, he changes us. And um, the, the song that we sang in worship, our God is still mighty. Our God is still strong. Our God is still healer. Our God is still provider. Our God is still the incomparable God. He's still the all-powerful God. He's the all-knowing God. He's the all-seeing God. And he alone is worthy of your and my highest praise and worship. And so no one should ever worship him reluctantly. But enthusiastically because this morning might be your last time to worship him. And then, when that is over, there is an eternity to keep on worshiping him. That's a good ground for us to practice, amen, and to give him glory and give him praise and to give him honor. I know a little bit of what I'm speaking about. And yeah, I want to give thanks to God and for the house of prayer, for their prayerful support for us as a family, Two years ago, my wife Ursula was diagnosed with lymphoma cancer um, in the neck. Um, they did a biopsy, took that out, and then discovered that, of course, it was um, lymphoma uh, cancer. And I immediately rallied our church around us to pray for us and with us, and also send notice to House of Prayer, and you made prayer cards for her um, and for us as a family as she instructed me to give thanks to God for the house of prayer. 
She still dictates from 14,000 miles away. The power of a woman. She can still dictate. Don't forget, I'll send you my WhatsApp message, my, my message. Don't forget, say thank you. And the second thing, for those who are responsible for remembering our birthdays, say thank you. We certainly um, appreciated you. Appreciate you. When we, were, when we discovered that Ursula had lymphoma cancer, irrespective of what your theological views might be, I care little about that for this morning. Amen. Very little. I said, Ursula, I feel led of the Lord to anoint you with oil. I anointed her with oil. I trusted God for her absolute and complete healing. When she started taking those 30 tablets for three days in succession, we took, she took those tablets in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our healer. Amen. To make a long story short, it was a difficult time for us it was a difficult time for me as a pastor. So easily could I come alongside other people and give them words of encouragement and pray with them and pray for them. When it hit home, it was a very, very different and a difficult story. I felt so weak. I felt so inadequate. But I hope and our faith and our trust remains in the sovereign God who is able to do for us exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or think or imagine. Two weeks ago, we went to the doctor and the doctor gave her her second clean bill of health. Amen. It is now one year since she, well, she's been declared cancer-free for one year. I understand that there is no healing in the oil, but my faith was never in the oil. My faith and remains in our God, who is awesome in power, and our God who is our healer. Yet it's a different story, and God remains sovereign. We have a 21-year-old girl. Uh, I have a, we have a 21-year-old granddaughter, Candice. And by the way, it was wonderful to hear 87 children got saved at, uh, at, at um, Camp, Canal Lake Camp. Uh, a few years ago, 10 years ago, Candice was one of those um, young people. And my son, John, when we came over here as a family. And so her situation is very different. She's developed... Since then, um, Frederick's attacks here, you know, uh, attacks the, 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 the muscles in your body, and so she's wheelchair-bound at 21 year of, years of age. We've asked for the first prize. The first prize was divine healing. Instead, this is how God is healing her. He heals her every day. He gives a grace every day, which is a gift from God. He gives grace to her parents. 
He gives grace to us as grandparents to take care of her, to unto let us know that God remains God when he instantaneously heals you or when he consistently gives you grace to cope. Whatever you are going to face in life, he remains God. Now, don't get me started. I get paid by the hour. <laughs> and at the moment, the dollar is really strong. <laughs> oh, man. My wife warned me, asked me, please be nice when you're in, in the church with other people. They don't know you as badly as I do. But it's been a wonderful journey the last year. But it's been a beautiful journey for us as a couple for 30 years. We've just been celebrating 30 years of marriage and 30 years of ministry. And I said in the early service, we've never spoke about divorce. She never mentioned that once. But murder often came out of <laughs> So... Not once did she ever mention divorce, but murder often. Uh, and so, um, I rejoice. Thank you for your prayers and for your love for us as a family. My son John um, is in his third year of studying law. He has another three years to go. He tells me, but I can't believe him, he's going to be a lawyer. <laughs> Will you please explain to the others after the service? I want to read to you from God's precious word. Luke chapter 10. And I find it difficult to preach the same sermon just an hour later. But they said, um, Pastor Jerry, if a sermon cannot be preached twice, it should not have been preached the first time. So so I take comfort in that. (laughs) Luke chapter 10 and let's read from verse 25. Your accent is a little bit different from mine, so don't worry. (laughs) You got it eventually. Thank you, lady. (laughs) Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to, to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In the reply, Jesus said, A man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, 
came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. On 9-11-2001, the whole world watched in horror as cold, calculated, callous cowards flew the hijacked planes into the Twin Towers and the Pentagon. But on that same day, the world also watched and still continued to watch how unselfish, confident, and courageous and brave men and women came to assist one another, brought them to a place of safety, and stayed with them until help would arrive from either the military, the police, the firefighters, and ordinary citizens. God and God's people and the brave people of this land, of the brave and the free, rebuilt what the enemy wanted to destroy, rebuilt lives. And today, this great nation, in all its resilience, have shown no disaster will ever get us down. Out of the ashes you have risen. God is still God, and God is still in control. We as a country salute you as we remembered 14 years ago when the choir came. We knew that the people of America was hurting, and Pastor Jerry will always remind me of that wonderful gesture, and I did not consider that so at the time. We had a wooden cross and we had, an, I, we had an American flag, and I draped the cross, the, the cross with the American flag. Because as the family of God, when one suffers, the whole body suffers with it. And so we salute you, and again we pray that God would bless this great nation. In the preceding verses of this chapter, the lawyer answered the question regarding eternal life by quoting from both Deuteronomy and Leviticus chapter 19. However, he wanted to narrow down his moral obligation only to a very select few that thought like him, spoke like him, and agreed and disagreed with him only on the things that he and they would agree and disagree. 
He only liked those who liked him and only loved those who loved him. It was said that if the Pharisees today were on Facebook, they would have many likes, but also many dislikes. And only the Pharisees would say, like. In a very last attempt, the man tried to justify himself and embarrass Jesus Christ publicly. The lawyer asked, so tell me, Jesus, master, teacher, so who really is my neighbor? Whom am I supposed to love? At this point, Jesus could have dismissed the lawyer and continued with his teaching because this man was interrupting the teachings of Jesus. He could have left the man standing there in self-righteous pride. No, but Jesus was going to give him another opportunity to bring conviction to his heart and to offer him an opportunity to repent of his self-righteousness and cause him to practice what you knew the scripture says about loving God and loving your neighbor. But he did not take that opportunity. How many times don't we miss opportunities? To repent of our wrong ways of thinking and our wrong way of doing things when the Holy Spirit prompts us. So this man did not get it. So Jesus told him a story, a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Hoping that the lawyer will grasp the essence of this parable. Of course, you know that the story is not about real three men going down the road. It is just a scenario. It is a picture painted on the canvas of the mind of the hearer. It is a dramatization, skillfully designed to illustrate one unforgettable point. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. From Jerusalem to Jericho goes down three, it's three kilometers below sea level. And the journey from one point, Jerusalem, to Jericho is 30 or rather 27 kilometers. The road was long, it was steep, it was rugged, it was barren. And it of course was notorious for highwaymen who pounced on unsuspected travelers. According to this parable, this man traveled by himself and was attacked by many robbers. We get this from the scripture, of course. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him and they left him for dead. If he had a donkey, they would probably have taken that from him. The language Jesus used described the man having been beaten repeatedly, stripped, of his clothing, indicating that his clothes were worth stealing. They took everything that they could and left the man dying, left him half dead, having critically injured the man. Obviously, this man was in desperate need of intensive care. You and I know of somebody just today who needs a loving hand, who needs some encouragement, who needs um, somebody to come alongside them, not to relieve them of their burden, but to share their burden with them. Not to make it right for them, but to be there for them. I needed somebody like that. 
when I did not know what effect chemo had on my wife. I did not know. But I had people would just call and say, Pastor, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. But we just want you to know that we are there for you. Everybody sounds like Oprah. Everybody needs somebody to love them. Amen? Everybody needs somebody. Of course, we do not know how long this poor, brutalized man was lying on this lonely road. And what time after the unfortunate incident, the first person came close to the scene. We don't know that. A glimmer of hope, however, arose when a priest was going down the road. And when he saw the man naked and covered in blood, he passed by on the other side. Now, this is the easiest thing to do. You don't need to be a genius. You don't need to be skillful. You don't even need to be religious. You don't need to be saved. You only need to be selfish. And you pass by on the other side. Because you fooled yourself. I just didn't see what I saw now. How stupid can you get? To the dying man, this was the man who was going to help him, he thought. He's even more hurt when the man woefully and deliberately crossed over to the other side of the road. He must have thought to himself, here is my chance. Somebody is going to help me. Here is my time for salvation. He, of all people, will help me. He should help me. Because he is a servant of God. One who offers up sacrifices before God in the temple. He might have just been coming from doing his religious things. Duties at the temple. But on his way home, he forgot or refused to do good. And to put his faith into action. There is going to be a tomorrow for you and me to practice what we hear in the holy place, to live it out in the marketplace. Otherwise, you and I are just spiritual junkies. We come in here just to be blessed. Oh, we come to hear God's word, to be empowered by his spirit. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be wise if you put them into practice. The dying and the now confused man must have thought, this priest, he knows the law, should know the law. Leviticus chapter 19, do no ill to a stranger. Treat him as one of your own. And I'm quoting from the Bible. Love him as yourself. For you were once strangers. Is it that strange? That we find it difficult to love others? When so much love has been lavished upon us by a merciful and a gracious God? 
that we cannot forgive others for what they've done or what they said 20 or 30 years ago. And then just this morning, we asked him to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he freely removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more, but we bear grudges and it makes us physically and it makes us spiritually sick but we rather would hold on to that than to offer love and offer forgiveness. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. You see, it is not so much what we do, it is what we are in Christ Jesus. The priest turned a blind eye and wanted to obliterate the picture of a bloody man. So he removed himself from the obvious need at hand. So then, the associate pastor, the Levites, the Sunday school teacher, the youth worker, the youth pastor, the whatever, he came to the place and saw him passed on the other side. Do you know what influence you have on on other people, either to do good or to do nothing? They just need to watch you. They will become like you. I don't care. So all around you will be people that you will gather that don't care. And you wonder why they don't care, because they're watching you. Have you seen how a group of people can just come together and say, let's just make aprons for girls that we will never ever see. If you care, you can do so much more. I'm skipping quite a few of the electronic pages. So of course we should never make the mistake of thinking that these two men were evil men, that they were bad men. Now these men were probably dressed for the occasion, dressed for kill. These were not bad men. They were just busy. He needed to go somewhere. He has come from his performing duties at the temple and he was going to go down somewhere. And he did not want his life to be interrupted. He did not want to get involved. It is going to cost him time. It is going to cost him some resources. And he was not prepared for that. But he was very religious. He was busy. And he was too religious to see the needs of other people. He could not see. They could not see that the man who laid there Gave would give them an opportunity to put their faith into action to demonstrate the love of God. How often, and God gives me that on a daily basis, and Pastor Jerry alluded to that this morning, and I would not do that myself, but we are surrounded by needy people. I can either be paralyzed by their needs or propelled into action. I've taken on far more than I can manage but I will never die of wanted to do good 
and missed the opportunity. I cannot change all the starfish on the shore, but maybe just the lives of few. And God does not expect you to change the whole world. He only expects you to change the world that you are in and surrounded by. There are plenty of opportunities. They walked away from a man in desperate need. And imagine... You and I are in desperate need and we made our needs known. Imagine I am drowning and in a time of desperation there is a lifesaver on the beach. But at the moment he is standing. He's on duty but he's standing. You know what that means? Sunbathing. Their crime was the crime of omission. They just did nothing. Of course, you know, in order for evil to prevail in the world, good men just need to do nothing. And most men and women and young people are experts in doing nothing. Fail even in doing something. But please don't fail to do good. Just as the dying man was about to close or to lose confidence in man, hope swells up in this weak, of his weak body and his crushed spirit. Someone is at least stopping. Oh, but look who is stopping. A Samaritan. Not from my religious background. Not from my political party, not from my religious persuasion, not even of my culture, not even of my color, not even of my denomination. If he was Baptist, I would have stopped. (laughs) If he was of the house of prayer, he still would have had hope. But no, a Samaritan stopped. How? The others might have said, I would like to help you, but you know that our history and our, relig- and, and, and our religion, our social and our political differences just brings about this divide. You're not of my political party, not of my denomination, not of my race, nor of my religion. Little did the Samaritan know that the two men of his kind were at the crime scene earlier, but had no, had more important duties to attend to. Brothers and sisters, busyness is an enemy. And we need to guard our hearts against being busy about everything related, as it were, to the kingdom and have no time for the king of the kingdom. Jesus said, These are the two laws connected, brought to one. Loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. For now on this parable, the Samaritan takes center stage. The Samaritan is moved with compassion. He took pity on the dying man. Upon seeing the man, his heart went out to him. Something swelled up in his heart. He's touched by the sadness of the dying man's face. He is filled with grief, sympathy. But the grief 
and the sympathy leads to empathy, feeling with those who are in need. And not only that, but doing something to help the person in need. It is not just a matter of saying, shame, I feel your pain. I wish I could help. There is something that you can do, but you can't do nothing. Nothing does not exist in exercising your faith in God. His compassion and emotions cause him to express what he felt. His compassion is going to be translated into TLC, tender, loving care. A faith in Jesus that does not translate to loving your neighbor as you love, as you love yourself is just a cold creed and a statement of belief. Wow. We are our brother's keeper. You might not like your brother, but you are called upon to love your brother. You can choose your friends, but you cannot choose those who are in need. You and I are under divine obligation to help those in need. And if they are your enemies, then pray for your enemies and bless your enemies and do good to your enemies. So you can either decide whether you want to befriend the stranger or treat him as an enemy, it will be exactly the same. The world is challenged right now. There are immigrants coming over. Can you imagine the cultural shock to the Germans at this stage? 8,000 immigrants. People running away from hostility where they come from. Syria. Can you imagine the desperation that parents must go through to risk their lives and the lives of their children? And we've all watched again with horror how a three-year-old boy lays with his face on the seashore because the boat capsized. But that was the risk that they were prepared to take. To come to other lands so that they can be free from this tinnery. And yet on the other side, there are those who say, yet keep them out. We don't have place for them. They do not meet our criteria. They are not from our culture. We do not share the same values. And when we are reminded within the Old Testament to welcome the stranger, to welcome the foreigners, because we are all are strangers and we are all foreigners. We have the same problem way back in South Africa. Last year we had a text which we call xenophobia. Of course you know what that means. Xenophobia is the fear of foreigners. The moment we hear of foreigners there is a, a fear. They're going to take over our land. They're going to take over our lives. They're going to take over our economy. Don't you believe that God is greater? Our God is stronger? Our God is mightier? That our God is able to protect us from wherever? I uh, feel you are convinced that that is so. The Samaritan put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Oh, this man got off his donkey. Another word for donkey is ass. (laughs) 
The answer is to meet the needs of the world. When every Christian get off his donkey <laughs> and help somebody that is in need. The next day, he took, you see, this Samaritan was genuine. He was not just throwing oil next to the man. He actually stripped his clothes because he did not walk around with the first aid box. He did not say, maybe today I'm going to see somebody that was mugged. No, no, no. He was just on his journey. Only had with him his oil that they carried and some wine. And I see now in Blaisville, you can carry your wine now with you. Where was I? <laughs> and so he stripped his own clothes and that became bandaged. You know what Moses, God said to Moses, what is that in your hand? What have you got? Do I ask you, what do you have? Many of us would answer, I have far more than what I need. I have to rent a place to store them. I was with, with a lady the other night. Well, would me rather rephrase that? Is this going to my wife? <laughs> I was with a lady the other night. I visited with her and her children were there. <laughs> and she has a house next to her house. I said, this is a beautiful house. She said, no, we don't use that house. I store my stuff there. I did not say anything, but of course you knew what I was thinking. Do you know what people in Africa, South Africa, where I come from, would give just to own a house like that? Just to have a house like that? And the stuff that I see they throw out as trash would be considered a luxury for many people. And so when I preach this word to you, I'm not coming to you from cuckoo land. Real needs in our country. As I said earlier on, I can be paralyzed by that or I can be propelled into doing something. So the man took his clothes and bandaged the wounds and poured out wine and oil generously on this man. And he said, I'll take him to an inn. I'll pay the guy, the innkeeper in advance, two denarii which was the equivalent of taking care of the man for 24 days at the time. And when I come back and my two denarii was not enough, I'm prepared to put down even some more. Because I'm going to see this thing through. I'm not just going to throw money. I'm committed to helping people. Do you know that you have a lifetime to be committed to helping people or you can have a lifetime just to be obsessed with yourself and be selfish for the rest of your life it is obvious that our children will become as obsessed with things and as selfish as we are because we are their examples so 
the wrong question, who is my neighbor? Not who is my neighbor, but to whom can I be a neighbor, is the question. To whom can I show the love of God that I sing about? To who can I show the love of God that I believe about in the Bible? To whom can I show tender mercy and loving kindness? Who will be the recipients of my intensive care and my unlimited generosity? Is there anybody out here or out there that will be a recipient of my unbiased, indiscriminate behavior towards other people? Will I be noted for just insisting on my own way or will I consider others better than myself and love my neighbor as I love myself? Will I help until it hurts? Will I give until I have no more to give? Will I love until there is just no more loving left? Jesus said to the lawyer who thought he was smart, so who is my neighbor? Jesus said to him, now that you have answered correctly, the one who showed mercy and compassion on him, go and do likewise. This is eternal life. Living out your and my life in the year and in the now in a practical and in a tangible way demonstrating the agape love of God to those who are in need. That is eternal life. This is not just about longevity in eternity. This is about the expression of the love of God that I have received, that I have been a recipient of. There is only one way to thank God for the love that he has showered upon you and that is by loving others. Otherwise, it would just be a self-contained love and you know while the dead sea is dead, it only receives and gives nothing out. In Matthew chapter 25 when you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't often preach about the others because we want to comfort people when, when we have funeral service for, service for them and all pastors must repent of that, including myself. He said to the other one, you're wicked your lazy servant. Tie him up and throw him out. There will be gnashing of teeth forever. But then they would say, Lord, but when did we see you hungry? And when did we see you thirsty? When did we see you sick? When were you in prison? When were you a stranger and we took you in? And the answer to that is, whatever you have done, for these, the least of my brothers and my sisters. If the Jewish rabbi and the Levi priest and his assistant were smart, they would have seen that there is a fellow human being 
to which I can show loving kindness to. He missed that up. They missed the opportunity. Let us not miss other opportunities to help. I'm almost through. The story is told of a young man who received a brand new, I saw this morning, a BMW Z4, silver, a silver one. He received this from his brother, brand new spanking blink car as a Christmas present. On Christmas Eve, when he came out of his office to drive it home, he noticed a street kid admiring his shiny new car. The boy said to the driver, the proud driver, pointing to the car, this yours? Sure, the man said. My brother gave it to me as a Christmas gift. Wow, said the kid. I wish. And then his voice softened. The man finished the sentence in his mind. But what shocked him was when he heard the boy said it again and his voice carried. And this is what he heard the boy said. I wish, and I know what, you've completed the sentence in your mind. He said, I wish I was a brother like that. And most of us would say, I wish I had a brother like that. What we need to say is, I wish I am a brother like that. God will give us opportunity tomorrow to be brothers and sisters like that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Pastor Greg is going to be staying with... uh, up at the Canes, Cecile Pruitt and Kevin and Vereen for a while, and then we'll get him moved in here. Uh, but pray for him. He'll be around. If you want to get up with him, you can surely call Kevin, and Kevin will make the connection there. Not who's my neighbor, but who can I be a neighbor to? Wow. It'd be easy to just, just close real quickly and... Uh, Say, boy, that was good. And uh, he said some funny things. And he probably had said some, some things that, that they sounded good. And just go. But I don't want to rush away for this reason. The Holy Spirit of God very possibly may be taking the word of God that we've just heard. And trying to get us to listen to what he's trying to say to us. And if we rush off and we get quickly get to the peanut butter sandwich or to the fried chicken or whatever there is it may be we may be guilty of being just like one of the other guys that looked and passed by on the other side of the road what what i what i heard this morning for one of the first times was when the samaritan man saw him scripture says that he came where he was he came where he was Well, I thought, Jesus, that's exactly what you did. You came where I was. You came where I was. 
so that you could take me where you were. Let's pray. Father, I, I want us to give you opportunity for your Holy Spirit to take the word of God that we've just heard and now to, uh, Lord, we use the word quicken, but to make it alive, to make it real in my life. Not just to file away as a good sermon or not just to file it away as a, as a, as a new thought that I'd never thought before. But you want to use it to make fundamental changes in my life. You want me to think differently. You want me to see differently. You want me to love differently. That's what you would do. Father, it's my prayer this morning that in each of our lives today, we would hear and with our ears and with our spirit what you're saying to us. That we would be, one of the gospel writers said, living epistles, living letters. Lord, I want us to be living vessels that Jesus loves through. Maybe it's to the kids. Maybe it's to the person that is uh, so hurting right now. Lord, maybe it's to the person that is so different than us. Maybe it's to the person that don't, uh, maybe they don't smell really good or maybe they don't look as cleaned up and as nice as we are. And they're different. But Lord, how different we must have looked to you for you to come where we are so we could be where you are. Help us to let you love through us, to let you live through us so that the world that's hurting and hungry and hopeless and helpless would have hope, would get the help they need in Christ and would have new life in Him. In Jesus I pray.